Hello, this is Vulnerability Matters from the Money Advice Trust, our podcast series which examines from a range of different perspectives how firms are tackling the issue of consumers in vulnerable situations. Today's podcast was recorded in front of a live internet studio audience bringing together people from across the UK, so therefore you might notice the sound quality in some parts does reflect this. Hello, my name is Chris Fitch. Welcome to Vulnerability Matters and to our current series on working in a crisis. In this series, we're looking at the work that essential service providers in financial services, energy, water, telecommunications and beyond are doing in supporting customers in the UK during the current coronavirus pandemic. And in each conversation, we've been trying to get to the nub of just what this is like for the customers, staff and the firms involved and the small and large things we can do to make this easier for everyone. And today we're talking about something that we've not tackled before in this series. So let me just set the scene a little for us. Imagine that overnight some of your customers completely lose all of their income. These customers are desperately struggling to stay afloat in financial and personal terms. And some have found themselves in financial difficulty for an illness that is not at all of their own making. Meanwhile, others have found that the financial stress of their situation has caused health problems, relationship breakdowns, and really quite serious personal and work problems. Now here's the rub. If you're firmly supporting a vulnerable consumer, Josephine or Joe Public if you like, there is a seeming mountain of guidance, resources, and regulatory material to help you help them. However, if you are a firm supporting a vulnerable small business, perhaps a sole trader where it isn't always clear where the person ends and the business begins, or a small limited family business where a key decision maker's vulnerable situation is affecting everyone involved, there seems to be comparatively hardly anything in the vulnerability locker for you to draw on. So what should firms do when their customer is a vulnerable small business? And what does the term vulnerability even mean when it comes to these types of businesses? And how does COVID-19 and the wider economic context play into all of this? Joining me to shine a light on all of this are Anil Patel from Business Deadline in Birmingham, and Neil has seen both the sharp end of how small businesses cope with vulnerability in normal times and critically what support these businesses need from banks and essential service firms when it comes to vulnerability in these times of COVID-19. We're also joined by Ian Phillips. Ian is a key member of the uh, training consultancy program on vulnerability at the Money Vice Trust and among other things it's a specialist interest in vulnerability in small businesses. Ian also runs his own small business and before that was at Lloyd's Banking Group, where we oversaw the work on vulnerable customers. And we also have yourselves, our live internet studio audience. Um, please do share your experiences, your questions, your observations using the question button uh, on your screen. And we'll try and cover as many as we can, but the earlier you get them in, the much better chance they have of being brought into conversation. So let's start with the basics. Um, Ian, let's can we can we start with kind of what should we understand by the term vulnerable consumer and how does this then relate to small businesses? Okay, morning, Chris. Morning, everybody. Um, yeah, so I think um, I'll sort of probably paraphrase slightly, but I think the easiest thing to look at is the, the FCA's definition. Um, so they define a vulnerable customer as someone who, due to their personal circumstances, is especially susceptible to detriment particularly when a firm is not acting with appropriate levels of care. I think if you try and unpack that a little bit and you think about some of the work the FCA did before arriving at that definition and some of the comments that they've made since, 
a lot of this is driven by the fact that over the last 20, 30 years, we've seen financial services move from a world where you used to have to go and sit in front of your bank manager um, who knew your inside leg measurement and could decide whether something was a good risk for the bank and potentially the right thing for you to a world where we've started to try and create products and services that are designed for mass markets. And the FCA's concern is that as part of that move, we've lost sight of some of the individual characteristics. And of course, at the same time, that we've had a series of conduct initiatives in this country where it's not so much now about the responsibility being on the consumer to pay the firm back, um, but it's equally the responsibility of the firm to make sure that in getting its money back, it's not adversely impacting that customer's circumstances. So how does that then cut across to small businesses? These are not personal circumstances, are they? This is a, this is a business circumstance. Well, funny you should say that. Um, I think the point being that uh, that's probably how we all thought of it initially. So we thought of this very much as um, initiative and, and definition for personal consumers. Um, and after the FCA published its occasional paper in February 2015 around vulnerable customers and vulnerability, we then saw the Lending Standards Board and Money Advice Trust um, pull together Vulnerability Task Force. Um, uh, and uh, they came up with some principles, then did some work on personal consumers to see how firms were um, complying with those principles. We saw whilst there was a lot of work to go, people were at least sort of making a start on it. They then followed that up by going back and doing the same work for business customers. And the findings from that were that firms largely had put business customers to one side, had thought of this as just impacting personal consumers, and therefore policies, procedures, and you know, outcomes for business customers weren't as well developed. The point the LSB made, and I think the recognition that everybody has come to since then, is that business customers sometimes can be just as impacted by vulnerability and um, come to just as much harm as personal consumers can. And actually, in some instances, the impact can be even greater. So if you think of, um, you know, if you work for a company of a reasonable size that has an HR department, um, you know, and has policies and procedures, sick pay, all that kind of thing in place, then hopefully, if you are impacted by vulnerability, there is some kind of safety net. But if you're a small business owner where you not only rely on that business for your employment, but also for all of your income and you don't have any of those support networks, you can find yourself in a situation where not are you only suffering the personal impacts, but there's nowhere else to go for support as well. And if you're not at the helm, your source of income could fold, even if the vulnerability is only transient. Mm -hmm. So how do we then... Um... Do we just simply knock out the word personal from the FCA's definition um, of a vulnerable consumer um, to get to this definition for businesses? Or is, it, or is it more nuanced than that? Yeah, it's definitely more nuanced. So I think we do definitely um, you wouldn't, for example, um, you know, view Sky as a vulnerable customer. Um, but I think the, the really important point is to be able to differentiate between you know, the guy who runs your local newsagent shop and a massive international corporation like Sky. And at those two extremes, it's probably pretty easy. Where it gets more difficult is, is in the middle, where you start to get businesses of a bigger size who have multiple employees 
Um, and I think that, you know, the really uh, the, the real crux of this is at, which, at what point is the business sufficiently big and has a sufficiently developed structure for the impacts of vulnerability on an individual to not impact the business as well. And at that point, we're thinking about that consumer and their personal circumstances, but the business can carry on unaffected. Does that help? Yeah, and there's a misconception there sometimes in, in, in segmenting uh, the businesses that we work with into the small and the not so small. Sometimes yeah. firms, uh, as I understand it, uh, will split that in terms of uh, limited companies and sole traders, but that might not be the best way to do it. Yeah, it's one way to do it, certainly, um, but it's not um, it's not the be all and end all. And interestingly, we've seen um, you know, whilst the, the FCA's regulation is mainly about consumers and we've seen a number of high profile cases where the FCA has found itself unable to enforce um, on activities, some of the big financial services companies with um, with big companies. The financial ombudsman service does now get involved in um, uh, judgments for um, for some business customers. They use a turnover measure. So generally speaking, they're looking at turnover up to around about six and a half million uh, pounds to decide whether or not um, whether or not it falls under their remit. Um, some others, as you say, use the structure of the company. So they'll say sole trader, uh, you know, can be a vulnerable consumer, limited company, um, uh, sort of calm. Um, and they're all, they are all different ways of doing it. But you could, for example, have somebody who works for themselves, um, operates in a, you know, a high net worth space, selling luxury cars, for example. And it might just be them and a garage and they have a couple of good years, sell a lot of cars and they could easily go over that six and a half million threshold. But um, if they are the subject of vulnerability, it's just them and no one else. Likewise, you could actually have quite a well-developed company that has turnover of less than six and a half million. So I think they're all just ways of trying to work it out. Mm. The real message I would say is it's about knowing the business. So we're really familiar with the idea of know your customer, um, but it's just as important to know your business because businesses can be customers too. That's really interesting. I, I, I noticed in the Lending Standards uh, Board uh, report, and that, that came out a couple of years ago in collaboration with the Money Vice Trust, that they also talk about knowing uh, those businesses in relation to uh, where key decision makers in the business are affected. So it's, it's bigger than uh, a sole trader. Um, it's a slightly larger company, but the destabilization of those key decision makers uh, can make that business vulnerable those key decision makers and everyone who works for them vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think it's not just understanding the structure of that company. So the decision makers, um, it's also about understanding you know, maybe the, you know, the experience. So you could have two companies with different, different structures, but vastly different amounts of experience. And I think finally, the thing it's important to understand is why that customer is self-employed in the first place. So people can become self-employed for all sorts of different reasons in, in some circumstances because they see the opportunity to make the money for themselves rather than lining somebody else's pockets. But we do see a number of self-employed people who are self-employed because of vulnerability in the first place. So for whatever reason, they don't fit into the employment market, um, but they have a real talent for something and they go and start their own business. But that doesn't mean that they necessarily have um, you know, the same capability for managing their financial affairs. So that's really important too. 
And we see a, a higher rate or prevalence of self-employment amongst um, uh, people who are disabled um, yeah. and people who might be living with particular types of conditions because it gives them that flexibility as well in many respects in running their business that they might not get from a traditional employer. Exactly so. Okay. I'm going to come back a bit later in and ask you about how we start to uh, identify and pick up and know our business customers because um, there is an irony in there that sometimes the uh, the relationship management arrangement with much larger companies uh, extends to the point where the relationship manager will know uh, about their contacts family life about what's happening in the business as well of course but um, and lots of aspects of what's going on but in terms of those smaller businesses those relationship management um, uh, connections are perhaps a, a little shallower. So maybe we'll come back to that in a moment. But this seems like a really good time to bring a Neil in from Business Deadline to just bring this to life a little bit, Neil, about some of the um, cases that you see at Business Deadline and how that shaped your own understanding of what a, a vulnerable small business is. Uh, yes, hello. Good morning, everybody. Um, so with business that we are we are receiving lots of calls um, on a daily basis uh, and more and more of these clients that we speak to are, are clients that would class as vulnerable um, for example i've got um is a lady called mary who contacted us recently and the current crisis has severely affected her um, she is a buy to let landlord she's got a property um single mother and she seems to have fallen through the cracks with regards to benefits and the result is she's had sort of virtually no income at the moment and is struggling to buy food um, we've seen uh, well her, her her issues that because of her property her tenant is unable to pay her rent because the tenant is out of work she's unable to claim benefits um, universal credit because of the asset level of her property um, and this is the type of thing that we are seeing more and more. So you're you're, you're getting a you're getting a lot of calls at the moment, I imagine, of, of, of a similar similar type. Um, yeah. So Mary's vulnerability relates to kind of a, a, a her kind of a business essentially being kind of as a as a, a, a landlord landlady for their their tenants. What is it that business deadline can do here? And but importantly, what should kind of firms, uh, essential service firms, be looking out for? in types of cases like these? Well, so Mary's vulnerability, we'd say, is um, she's a single mother. She's got a, a baby that's um, coming up to one year old. And she's just had a sudden sort of drop in income. Now, in terms of firms, when they're dealing with her as a business, she also had a limited company, which is currently ceased trading. She used to work in the care sector, had to stop trading because um, she had a, a loss of trade and then also the baby and, and childcare. She had limited company debts. Now, these are effectively business debts, but behind the business, it's just one individual. So in terms mm. of things that firms could look out for is when you're requesting payment from a business, whether that's a business credit card or business utility supply. In the, in the case of Mary, it's just one individual, one person. And if that business is no longer trading, if other forms of income have also dried up, such as her, her rental income, and she's unable to, to make a payment, then it doesn't matter how many times or how many different ways you say, well, we need this payment by this date, that individual can't pay, then she just can't pay. Mm -hmm. So this is really interesting. It's kind of, um, Ian, um, you know, 
obviously people are disclosing to business deadline because uh, they're seeking for help. So they're going to open up and share their situation with business deadline. But for mm. firms working with small businesses, um, how should we be identifying and picking up on uh, on these types of circumstances? So I think it's not dissimilar to what we see in the personal sector. So I think it's fair to say that in the personal sector, even though perhaps we're a bit more switched on to um, asking questions about vulnerability at the point of onboarding and, and during the life cycle, that we still do see an increased prevalence of consumers telling us about their vulnerabilities once they've crystallised. And, and I think you know we're going to see that for some time until um, trust between firms and consumers increases because people are nervous about telling us things on onboarding stage in case it affects their their chances of getting the product. Um, but I think, you know, again, it's an easy thing to say, but I think we need to move more towards what we see through personal consumers, where we start to ask whether there is any extra support that a business customer needs in order to use our products, that we uh, ask a little bit more at onboarding stage about the structure of that business, um, we tend to ask the length of trading, for example, but we'll normally ask that from an underwriting perspective and not necessarily for um, for the purposes of um, of identifying vulnerability. And then, you know, through all of our touch points with that customer, um, you know, asking that question about whether anything has changed in their circumstances, and just simple things like having the same kind of help pages that we have for personal customers. You know, for, for businesses. So most firms now on their websites and their FAQs and their help pages will have information that signposts for personal vulnerable consumers. But mm. if you go and look on those same firm sites for business customers, they probably still aren't as well developed. Mm. And, and, and Neil, this is a really this is a really kind of a well, maybe I'm being naive here. I'm thinking this is um, this is kind of difficult ground for some firms to tread in because this is very much a personal and business mixed together. Mary's circumstances uh, sound extremely challenging. Yeah. Uh, and you must um, be seeing in these types of conversations a lot of fear, anger, emotion and distress. How, how do you cope with that? And what advice do you have for businesses, uh, for firms working with small businesses to kind of really get to, uh, to balance off that business side with that mm. personal side? Well, yeah, exactly. And, and as Ian mentioned, that when, when they speak to us, clients or customers generally will tell us sort of pretty much their whole situation and they'll, they'll give us information that they maybe are reluctant to, to disclose to their creditors, be a, a lender or a utility company, maybe because they don't want them to know that I've got three other credit cards or three other loans that I can't afford to pay. But when, they, when they're speaking to us, they'll, they'll give us the full picture. So we're able to sort of give them the best advice possible in terms of all of their their full situation. Um, uh, in terms of sort of separating the business and the personal, such as for Mary, she's got limited company debts, but then she's also got personal debts. She's got personal credit cards and is struggling to pay the rent and your gas and your electric at home. Sometimes it, it's very hard to separate because. For a, for a small business, whether you're a, a limited company or whether you're a sole trader or even if you're a partnership with just two or three partners, if all your income is coming from that business. If the business stops trading, then you've got no more money coming in. 
And that means then whether it's a, a limited company credit card that needs paying or whether it's your electricity bill at home that needs paying or whether it's just going and buying groceries and doing your weekly food shop. It, it, it's a struggle to to sort of prioritize, you know, who do you pay and who do you not pay? And, mm. and our advice at Business Deadline generally is think about yourself. You've got to put, keep your roof over your head, put food on the table for your family, you know, try and keep the utilities on. And, and since since the crisis, uh, current crisis started, you know, energy companies for personal uh, supplies have said that we're not we're not going to go down the disconnection route. The same for the, the same to, for, for it to happen for um, businesses. That, that's the type of thing I think uh, firms can be looking at. I was just going to chip in. So there was a great point that Neil made there. And so we're saying I, I am actually a small business owner myself work in the commercial finance broking space. <clears throat> and we've seen some examples of this with um, everybody's probably heard these terms, C bills and B bills and you know the different mm. government support loans that are out there. And one of the big challenges with that has been differentiating between the business activity and personal activity. So it's been quite easy in some ways for banks who are looking to run these low schemes to try and assess uh, businesses where they have a separate business account and their business borrowing arrangements are separate to their personal ones. But there is a big um, sort of overlap of customers where everything goes through the same account, their personal finances and their business finances. Mm -hmm. And they might have borrowed money in their personal name, but it's to invest in the business and all those kind of things. So I think that just really underlines Anil's point about um, it not being as simple as uh, you know where the business stops and the consumer ends. Sorry, I was just about to say, Ian, that, that's, that's exactly spot on. The, the, the number of clients that we speak to where they've tried to get funding or lending for their for their business and have been turned away so they've turned to personal credit cards and personal loans and use them so you know mary for example had 20 odd thousand pounds worth of personal credit card debt or credit cards but all of that money wasn't frivolous spending it was all put into her limited company and mm. this is something that we do see quite often where where people will take personal lending personal borrowing rather and use it for their businesses mm. Ian, you, you lead our our training and our consultancy work at the trust around small businesses and vulnerability, among other things. Um, I was wondering, and kind of Anna has, has come in here with a, an observation as well. I was wondering whether you think that existing safeguards are doing enough to protect these small businesses uh, from vulnerability at the moment, as well as kind of responding to them. And kind of if, if not, kind of what safeguards are needed to support businesses that are vulnerable? Great question. Uh, assuming we want more than a, than a yes or no answer. Um, so <laughs> it's going to be a short podcast if you do. So kind of. A... <laughs> I think in some instances for some firms where they've really thought about this, probably some of the existing safeguards are doing enough. If we mean uh, sort of at a firm level. Um, if um but but there are some where where it's still a long way off so we've recently done some consultancy for a an organization that deals almost exclusively with business um customers so they don't have the read across from personal customers i suppose and we saw some things there that you'd never see in the personal space such as you know requiring businesses to actually go into arrears and and incur charges before you could start to offer forbearance 
Whereas in the personal space, I think we're all familiar with the idea now that we forbear first and sort of ask questions afterwards. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, I think in some cases, but but that's because of the activity of the firms themselves, because of the fact they've been switched on, supported by the work for, of the LSB, to the fact that we need to think about business consumers the same in some instances. Um, if you mean safeguards in terms of regulation, then um, then probably not at the moment. So the regulation isn't there to stipulate this, and you know regulation over um, business consumers versus personal consumers is is still a grey area. And there have been a number of calls from Parliament to extend the FCA's remit into at least some business activities, particularly in the lending space. So I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, but hopefully, you know, we'll see firms continuing to take the lead and do the things that are right from a conduct perspective because it's good business sense at the end of the day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, helping a customer out of a crisis means you've probably got a customer for life. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe COVID and everybody's reaction to that will see that point come home even more. We've seen firms able to do things, uh, you know, in a very short space of time that were apparently impossible before. Mm. So that's really interesting because it seems that what you're part of what you're implying there is that if a, if a business already has uh, a consumer uh, side to it, if a firm has a consumer side to it, then that might be one of the places we go to look at for inspiration and for some guidance around how we work with our vulnerable small businesses, including identification and support. But clearly some firms won't have that at all. No, 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 they won't. That's absolutely right. So, um, and that was exactly my point. So I think if you see some of the firms that have started, yeah, that have responded to the LSB report in 2018, um, the way most of them have started is by looking at their policies and procedures for personal consumers, mapping those across for relevance to the business space. Um, mm. And you know that's been underpinned by the need to understand the potential impacts on that on that customer. Um, for for other firms who don't have that read across, then you know the, the LSB reports are probably a really good starting point. So for in both instances, the report that was published was at an industry level. The LSB went in and did work with five or six firms, I think, in each case. They gave each firm their own personalised report, but they published the aggregated results at a um, an anonymized level so if you wanted to get a feel for what's there that that would be a really good place to start mm. um, and then of course you know come and speak to the money advice trust because um consulting in this area is our specialism so it's really interesting so it's two, there's, there's a couple of touch points there uh, there's the original uh, lsb report with the money advice trust which drew on business deadline data to talk about vulnerability in small businesses. Then we've got this review of vulnerability by the LSB undertaken separately and the Money Advice Trust. And we'll make sure those resources go on our website. And, and Neil, is, I was wondering kind of, we, we have to be careful here, so no name, yeah. naming names. But okay. Which, which sectors um, do you feel have responded particularly well at the moment uh, to uh, vulnerable small businesses and which perhaps have a bit of catching up to do? Local authorities have been very good recently in terms of uh, small businesses, uh, things like business rates. Um, a lot of small businesses, they've been suspended um, in terms of paying for them. We are, we are hearing from our clients that uh, a lot of the major banks, credit card companies have been generally on the whole very good, um, where clients are, are potentially not in arrears 
and the current situation has meant that they're they're going to be unable to maintain payments where they've contacted the banks and they've they've been told okay we'll put everything on hold for three months we have had some clients tell us that because they were already in arrears and um, they'd already started to struggle to maintain payments and then the crisis has just made things even worse when they've contacted the bank we have a uh, clients tell us that they were, they've been told that no because you're already in arrears we're not going to apply the three-month payment break for you so on the whole it's been good there have been a couple where i think there could be some more work to, you've, to you've got another example for us as well do you want to just tell us about is it steve or yeah you... yeah no steve yeah so steve contacted us and this was uh, quite recently within the last couple of weeks and, and he suffers from sort of severe anxiety and stress uh, he's a plumbing and heating engineer, a sole trader, so his job is being out and about, going into people's homes, and the lockdown has meant that he just cannot work anymore. He's had to completely stop. Um, he's had a, a, an adverse effect on his on his mental health. Uh, he has been sort of, as I said, he was suffering from stress, but this has just made things even worse. Now, in terms of sort of help that was there, at the start of the crisis, the government did announce the, the furlough scheme for employed people, but there was nothing announced for self-employed, for sole traders like like Stephen uh, for a sort of couple of weeks or whatever that time frame was. And that really contributed to his increased stress. He's applied for universal credit, which fortunately he did receive because like a lot of our clients, they he didn't have a sort of contingency fund built up. So the mm. Universal credit has meant that he's able to continue paying his mortgage and his gas and his electricity at home, but his existing debts, he hasn't been able to maintain them. He's He had a letter from one of his credit card company, um, providers that basically said that where you need to pay a fixed amount per month for the next four years. And that was without checking any sort of affordability, without going through any sort of business or even a personal budget sheet and it was an amount that he could just know no way that he could uh, he would be able to afford uh, whereas other creditors have said look we'll put things on hold this one particular creditor he was really sort of it really upset him and it really caused his stress levels to to go through the roof and um, normally the, the our fundamental debt advice is you know do a budget make a payment a payment offer that's affordable now if you've got a creditor say you need to pay us a certain amount and they're not even going down that road of asking for uh, a budget to back that up with especially mm. in the current climate where his income just completely dropped off. Um, no. So, yeah, there is the good thing is on the whole, a lot of the creditors have been good, but there are all, there are a couple of um, instances we, we've heard of where things could have been done and handled a lot better. So Steve's a sole trader. So let, let's yeah. contrast Steve with Clive, who's a, a director of a limited company who you've also been helping at Business Deadline, who's in, in, yeah. in a similar situation. A similar situation. I've as a well. Let me just go back to Steve and make a point. He's been able to apply for the self-employed income support scheme, where the government would pay eighty percent of his average profit for the last three years. Um, he did announce that, and he has been able to make uh, make that application. But he won't be receiving that money until sort of the end of May, maybe start of June. But mm. he will be getting that, and in the meantime, he's been able to. Uh, Keep things taken over with universal credit. Clive, on the other hand, as a limited company director, he's one of the few that seems to have fallen through the cracks. One of this group he, he's in because he takes the majority of his income from his company mm. as dividends, 
Um, he can't really furlough himself because he effectively doesn't really take a salary. It's all dividends, so the furlough scheme doesn't apply to him. The self-employed income support scheme doesn't really apply to him. So he's really had a situation where had a complete loss of his income. He works as a his, his limited company works in waste management. They collect commercial waste. So all of his 99% of his customers have had to close down and stop trading. Now, as mm. lockdown started to ease over the last uh, couple of weeks, he potentially could have got back to work, but he rents uh, a business premises where he stores his van and his tools. And because he fell behind on his rent, on his commercial rent, his landlord locked it up, had locked the gates, and he has no access. Now, unfortunately, with commercial landlords, they are able to do this, and his landlord mm. is refusing to unlock it and allow him access to his van and tools until he gets paid. But he can't get paid and he can't work without the value pool. So he's in a, a catch-22 situation there. Well, well he's, he's, he's locked down and he's locked out. And Ian, this, this goes back to kind of one of the, the earlier points around the perception of vulnerability. And uh, another mm. one of the, uh, the organisations the Money Vice Trust has worked with around small businesses and vulnerability uh, were discussing or framing uh, small businesses as limited companies as possibly not being vulnerable because there's a, a protection to the individual's assets in relation to uh, having that limited status. But as we can see from kind of Clive's situation and, and, and Neil beforehand told us that also Clive was uh, kind of a single, he's uh, currently sleeping yeah. on a friend's sofa, um, yeah. he's locked out of his business. But Ian, kind of that, that distinction, again, it's, 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 it's not detailed enough, is it, really, to kind of get to the nub of who is and isn't vulnerable as a small business. No, it's not. And I, and I think it's um, it's a, a distinction that's very much rooted in the, uh, if you like, the end of the line, isn't it? So we're talking there about, you know, for a sole trader, you know, they're, they're unprotected. And so if we get to the end of the line, the business is wound up and we're talking repossession and all those kind of mm. things. There's no protection for them. Whereas for limited companies, there is some basic legal protection. Um, but that's the same as in the personal space, you know, talking about what happens when we get to repossession stage. Whereas I think we've moved on from there to talk about what happens at the early stages, uh, you know, trying to help people get back on their feet or at least trying to come to an arrangement at an early stage before we get that far down the line. So, mm -hmm. so I think you're right. Some of it is driven by regulation and it's driven by the involvement of the financial ombudsman service so limited company status is one of the things that drives their involvement um, so some firms set their boundaries around that but as we've heard from the example examples from anil you can essentially have two people who are in exactly the same situation but because one of them has incorporated themselves as a limited company and the other one hasn't they could be treated very differently mm. and kind of um anil you're seeing um some some further differences in the types of calls coming through now in relation to COVID. Yeah, majority of our callers people that are struggling with their businesses, but what the crisis has uh, has brought up is clients that would never normally have called us. So uh, I've got an example of a chap called Mohammed who contacted us recently. Now he is a sole trader and he runs a barbershop and he's been running his barbershop for many years and his barbershop's been going well pays all its bills he's able to take a good profit from it he has some personal debt approximately eight thousand pounds and this was a personal loan which he used to actually refurbish his barbershop 
he would never have normally called us because he's able to maintain his bills, he's able to maintain his debts, everything's going well. But because of the crisis, the shop has closed, and that means his income has suddenly gone to zero. Now, he's had help from the local authority with regards to um, not having to pay his rates, but without any income coming into the household, he's still got to pay things like his mortgage and in the shop itself, business insurance has still got to be paid, his utilities and things like that. So this is where firms can, where you have a customer like Mohammed who has never really been in arrears before and has always been able to pay his bills and has always been able to maintain the business where that individual suddenly has a complete change of scenario. So this is a, this is the type of client we're also now um, speaking to. Never expected to have spoken to somebody like Mohammed previously. So what do we... What do we do about this situation? Because currently, uh, it would be a fair comment to say all UK small businesses are potentially vulnerable. However, that doesn't help us in terms of uh, targeting the support uh, that, can I say, the most vulnerable need. How mm. should we How should we get to the bottom of this as a firm supporting a small business? I suppose the, the main thing is talking to the individual and, and trying to ascertain the actual problems i mean i suppose in this in this case of mohammed the problem is he, he can't open his barber shop and he can't he can't trade but just speaking to him um, trying to put a face behind the business and just think well yes it, it is a business but it's also an individual and it's also somebody who's got it, it might only just be the one person but if the business is not trading then he's got no income coming in he, mm. it's you know what who is behind that business and what effect has had that uh, has the current situation had on the individual rather than on the business. Ian, go, going back to something you said earlier, but building what Neil was saying there around uh, engaging small businesses yeah. around vulnerability, should firms who are working with small businesses being are, be asking them about potential vulnerability at the outset, when they first start the relationship, when they're kind of bringing that kind of customer into their own firm offering them accounts and products is, is that is that an is that a realistic opportunity and if so how should we do this i think it's a realistic opportunity i think as i said earlier on i think we're still um some way from the point where we can both take the horse to water and make it drink um and, and we could do a whole separate podcast on disclosure environments and when is the right time to ask the question yeah, you know is it when the customer's applying or is it when they've got what they were after and then you layer it on. I think it's definitely an opportunity to, to plant the seed um, and to you know let people know that we are prepared to be flexible if their circumstances require it and that if they need additional help and support to use our products that that is something that we you know that, that we can consider. Um, and I think um, there's also you know, gathering some relevant information that enables us to get a view of risk. You mentioned the word potential just now, and that's something that comes through loud and clear in the FCA's draft vulnerability guidance. It was due to have been published in final by now, but the current crisis has, has delayed that the foreseeable future. But they talk about the difference between identifying consumers that are potentially vulnerable, so a, a high risk of vulnerability at some point, versus those who are currently vulnerable where things have crystallized. So by understanding more about the structure of a firm and the individuals um, that are involved with it, we could certainly do a better job of understanding 
the firms that perhaps are in high risk categories, that then might enable us to monitor activity um, in a way that would flag up, you know, if something starts to change. But I think when we find ourselves in a situation like we do now, um, you know, why not just ask the question? On the personal side, we've seen a number of uh, big firms offering mortgage payment holidays, for example, and pretty much on a no questions asked basis. Now, mm. we have to be careful because that's not always necessarily the right thing for people. And, you know, there is a risk that consumers haven't understood the consequences of that and what it means for their future payments. But, you know, just going out there and, you know, in sort of Instagram terms, asking you okay, hun, um, you know, and just seeing what people come back with is a good way to start a conversation. Mm, okay, it's kind of a almost contemporary reference to Instagram. Something I wasn't quite expecting in this uh, in this discussion. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and, and Neil, kind of some businesses will recover. Hopefully, the ones we've heard about will. Mohammed's yeah. is uh, something where you underline the fact it was it was temporary. Yeah. Where should we be uh, signposting uh, our small business customers to to get to get help in these difficult times? There's, there's a lot of places. Uh, first of all, I'd say um, to us, Business Netline, we we have uh, we have a fact sheet on our website which gather yeah, all the various help that is out there. But in terms of organisations, uh, turn to us uh, or benefit checks. They can check on uh, where there are there are any trust funds, grants, and even sort of the HMRC, for example, they have um, they have a scheme called Time to Pay. So if you've got uh, for assessment debt that um, payment that is due, but it's due at the um, July. Uh, the self-assessment is normally due January and July. So if you if you're due to pay that in July and you're going to struggle, contact them. They're generally very good in terms of allowing uh, you to defer that payment for with regards to VAT as well. Contact your local authority. Uh, the British Business Bank website has um, information on coronavirus uh, business interruption loan scheme and how to apply. Um, so there are there are a lot of lot of organisations out there that are providing help and assistance. So business deadlines website, we've got it all listed on there. And there will be some firms, uh, small businesses, unfortunately, that aren't going to survive. Mm. And we can see that already as a as a firm that's supporting them. What sort of conversations should we be having with them, and what what type of support should we think about providing to these businesses? I suppose it's it's what are the next steps. So if if a business has to close down what happens to that debt um, whether it's a limited company and they go through formal liquidation and the debts die with the company but one of the things that we do see quite a lot and, and we talked earlier about some uh, a director of a company having the limited company's debts as sole trader being personally liable quite often directors are unable to borrow money for their company without signing personal guarantees so even though the company is gone they're still left over with debts that they've had to sign a personal guarantee on. So it's how do you how do you deal with how do these individuals deal with these debts and whether that's personal bankruptcy or other insolvency options or longer term solutions such as debt management plans. It's going to be sort of different for each individual based on their their situation. So for example, if you're living in rented accommodation and you don't really have very much in the way of assets, maybe bankruptcy is a good thing. But if you've got a house and you've got equity, then that's something you probably want to avoid because you want to avoid the risk of losing your home and uprooting your family. So these, this is where when when we speak to a, an individual, we will get a full picture of their situation to give them the best option that's, that will fit their circumstance. 
So, and, and, and Ian, when when we uh, we're dealing with small businesses where one of the key decision makers is is vulnerable, or it's a, a sole trader, or just one person, and vulnerability enters the uh, in the mix and the conversation, discussions around forbearance can take on an additional dimension. And I wonder how you felt uh, firms working with small businesses should handle that. They can be very emotional, very difficult, and often very defensive uh, conversations. Again, it's a bit of a threat, but I would say, you know, no different to how you would approach it for um, for a personal consumer. So, um, but in some cases, bearing in mind that the impacts can, you know, can be even greater. Not only is this person suffering from a vulnerability, they've lost their livelihood. Um, potentially there are, you know, customers that, that they've let down, suppliers that, you know, they've not been able to pay. Um, potentially employees that you know that have lost their jobs as well um, so I think just you know just tread with with additional care um, but as we you know as we see in the personal sector as well I think the really important thing is not just to offer sympathy and no practical solutions the you know what people really need is some guidance about the practical steps and mm. um, you know for that to be clear and and concise and um, so that they can help it can help them understand the options and most importantly they can see that there is a way forward. Would you anticipate uh, a situation given everything that's going on at the moment where the Financial Conduct Authority might say not only do we need to uh, produce these uh, guidelines, finalise this guidance on vulnerable consumers but actually there needs to be a companion document on vulnerable small businesses? If I was a betting man, I think it's unlikely that we, we would see, uh, you know, separate business guidance. I, I think there is an expectation, and we've seen that through the extension of the FOSS's remit, that that firms are capable of understanding where there is an impact at a personal level and not just classifying all businesses that are out of scope. I think you could say that with the guidance itself. The FCA, you could argue, was relatively slow coming out with its guidance for vulnerable customers after the occasional paper in uh, February 2015. So there was something like a four year gap between the two. Um, but the tone of their guidance when it did come out was a little bit along the lines of, we're a bit surprised we're having to tell you this because they already have principles for business that tell you it's your responsibility to understand the consumer sufficiently well to make sure you're delivering the right outcome for them. And I think their view is that they would already have expected firms to take vulnerability into account. Mm -hmm. So I think we definitely may shape, see the shape of the guidance change. It would be very odd if we didn't see, uh, you know, uh, COVID referenced. Um, it, it certainly increased the number of consumers that are both personally and uh, sorry, potentially and actually vulnerable. But I think the onus will still be on firms to think themselves about how that applies to their business consumers and when as we've said through this podcast already businesses are customers too mm. and, and and neil a, a last one for you what do you think yeah. the next three months are going to bring for small businesses and in particular those that are, uh, are vulnerable at the moment hopefully as uh, as lockdown eases and, and things can return to some form of normality uh, light at the end of the tunnel let's say in terms of small businesses being able to start trading again um, because that's what pretty much all of our clients want to do they don't want to be sitting at home doing nothing they want to get back out there they want to get working again but it's just for firms to take that on board and just allow time i think is the main thing just allow allow their customers the time to 
to get back on their feet, to start earning that profit again, to then start looking at what their options are with regards to the debts, unfortunately, that have built up during this time. Mm. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody. If you want Ian uh, to appear in your firm virtually or physically, perhaps one day, uh, then do get in contact for details of our specialist uh, small business and vulnerability training and consultancy. If you need to contact Business Deadline, a simple Google search will find them, or you can call 0800 197 6026, which is 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday to Friday. Yeah, interesting, Neil. That's correct. Do you yeah. Take, yeah, do, you, do you take calls from firms asking you what they should do about particular cust uh, customers, or does it tend to be customers? Uh, it's mainly mainly customers. Um, we do sometimes do get calls from good uh, class and creditors, um, but we are uh, we never discuss any individual clients. We're bound by GDPR, obviously, so um, we'll never discuss any individuals. But we can. We, mainly, it is it is customers, though, rather than rather than rather than firms. Yeah. And Neil seems a bit hesitant, but he's a lovely guy, so do give him a call. And um, if you're interested in the uh, in other uh, discussions, we've discussed death, uh, personal resilience, uh, emotional crisis, and financial difficulties as well with National Deadline. Um, please do a search for Vulnerability Matters. It only leaves me to say thank you for listening. Thank you to Neil and to Ian. And until the next time we speak, stay safe.